0: Father Lord, I just come before you today, and uh, first and foremost, I give you thanks for your Son Jesus. It's through Him that we have fellowship one with another as brothers and sisters, by His uh, unspeakable act of love and sacrifice. That, that Father, we come together to honor and to worship Him, Lord, and and um, Father, we uh, came together to study Your Word today. So, Lord, I just pray Your Holy Spirit would fall on us as we not get to come and. Learn about you, but Father, to know you—not just with a head knowledge, but Father, with a, with a sincere heart. And uh, what we are going to see in in the 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 reading today and the scriptures today how sometimes what we've known our whole lives can kind of hinder our relationship with with the Lord Jesus. Father, we just ask that. Uh, That the next half hour or so, Lord, that you and you alone would be glorified in us, to us, and through us. It's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. All God's people say, amen. Today's uh, teaching will be coming out of the book of John, chapter 13, and we're going to be the last three verses in 13, then we're going to go the next 14 verses in chapter 14. Um, But we've been for a while here studying in John chapter 13, and it's been jam-packed, hasn't it? We started out John 13 with what? Uh, Being at the Passover with Jesus and him washing his disciples' feet. And we're going to see quite a bit of confusion going on with the disciples because this, all this stuff that's happening in, in chapter 13 isn't in the script. It's not. You know, there was a specific order to the Passover meal, that's why they call it the Seder. Seder actually means order. And in the very first of John chapter 13, we see them at the, at the Passover meal and, and the scriptures tell us that Jesus, knowing that he came from the Father and he was soon to return to the Father, and having loved his own in this world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So he got up from the table and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. That wasn't in the script at all, because in the, the order of the, the Passover meal, they first have a benediction, and they have a ceremonial hand-washing. But what's Jesus do? He starts at their feet, and he washes their feet. And as he sits there, and he's eating the meal with them, and he starts revealing people in, in the hearts of Judas, and they're wondering who's going to betray Jesus, and Jesus says, the one who... I dip this bread and give to will be the one. And he gives it to Judas. And Judas gets up and Jesus looks at him and says, What you do, do quickly. And he gets up and it says at that point that Satan entered him and he left and it says it was night. And then Jesus says now that he's left, now the Father will be glorified in the Son and the Son and the Father. And the disciples are just, if I don't know if I was there, I would be going, what on earth is going on? This is not in the way that it's supposed to be, because what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be reading out of this book called the Haggadah, and it's a story of the, of the exodus out of Egypt, and someone is supposed to ask a question, Rabbi, what sets this night apart from all others? And then they read. But that's not the way this passover went, was it? Jesus is telling them that that soon he'll be going away. And where he goes, they can't follow. Boom. That must have hit like a lead balloon, huh? He said that in John 13:33 and he called them, I think in my translation it says that they were My children, he called his disciples, his children. I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you can't come. And then he says this, a new command I give unto you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, that by this all men might know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. You know, I think after that statement that Jesus made in in 1333 about dear children, I'm getting ready to leave and where I go, you can't follow me. I think that just kind of took the command of their thought processes because look in verse 36, it says that Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? It wasn't asking him about... Loving, you know, loving people and loving each other, and as a new command, he went straight to that because that was what was on their minds. And I don't know, maybe if I was there, that would be first in my mind too. We're going to see in the following scriptures that we're going to have three different disciples questioning Jesus about this thing that he's talking about. And Peter says, "Lord, where are you going?" And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Now, if I was disciples, I would remember back three short years before that when Jesus called them to come and follow him, right? And now they're saying, you can't follow me. You can't come where I'm going, but you will follow me later. And I imagine that just kind of blew their minds, a lot of confusion a lot of concern was going on through the uh, through the disciples' minds at this point, and and then, then Peter says, "Lord, why, why can I follow you now? I, I will lay down my life for you." Well, the short answer that Peter doesn't know, and we can because we've got uh, hindsight and we can look back. We know the reason why Peter couldn't follow him now because. The Lord had not to give his life on the cross for us, and he hadn't been in the grave for three days, and he hadn't been resurrected yet. That's why he couldn't follow him, but he would. All the disciples would follow in the same pathway as Jesus, and they would give his, their lives for the gospel, except for, I guess, John was the only one that wasn't martyred, right? It wasn't because they didn't try very hard. They boiled him in oil, and then they exiled him. But each and every one of them, in their own way, were persecuted because of their their belief and their faith in the Lord Jesus. So they couldn't follow him right at that moment, but they would. And Jesus, in verse 39 says, or verse 38 says, Will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You know, when we look back at Peter's life, and Peter, without a doubt, he loved the Lord with every fiber of his being. He he desperately and 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 in his heart he had believed that that truly he would lay down his life for the Lord. He would follow him even unto death. You know, the scriptures say what? Is the flesh is is willing, or how's it go? The, the 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 flesh is willing, but the spirit's weak. You know, he knew that he would wanted to follow Jesus. He had a desire. Follow Jesus no matter what, even to the to the grave, even to death. And he he said that. But in reality, being Jesus, being all-knowing God, knew Peter's, Peter's capacity for, for doing what he said. And he says, As I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me for three times. You know, his, I guess when danger comes, in the training that I received, we have two responses. It's either fight or flight. You've heard of that before, right? Well, Peter's response was what? He took flight, and he denied. To save his own hide, he denied Jesus three times. And if uh, you read Scripture and the other Gospels, Talks about, you know, Jesus and the third time that he says, I never knew the man. And he heard that rooster crow. And he turned and he saw Jesus looking straight at him. And he knew. And he knew that Jesus knew his heart and what he would do. And he ran away bitterly, weeping and crying, right? We know that he's going to get reinstated soon, aren't we? Don't we? But then, after Jesus let the, the wind out of Peter's sails, he comes back to offer them comfort. In verse uh, chapter 14, 14, verse 1, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And he goes on to say, In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that I'm going. So he knew that the disciples were confused and concerned about what he had spoken about. They couldn't go where he was going, but they would follow him later. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because so many times our human mindset is is just the here and now, isn't it? But brothers and sisters we're built for eternity we're built to be with jesus we're built to worship something and we're built and and god's design was us to worship him with forever that's why jesus had to go and he had to suffer and die on that cross for our sins that we having put our faith and our belief in him might have be forgiven first of all and then be in right standing with god and just like i said back in john chapter 1 verse 18 that as many as who, who believed and received him, he gave the right to become what? The children of God. We're God's own if we put our faith and our trust in him. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't worry about this life because you're built for eternity, amen? And he goes in, and, and you have to understand the Jewish mindset here. When, they start, when he starts talking about his father's house and, and many rooms, we're getting an illustration. Jesus is giving an illustration of the Jewish uh, wedding and marriage, in 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 the Jewish culture, when a when a bridegroom got married, the, the custom was that they took the groom the bride, the new wife home, and, and the father would have prepared a, a new room. He built on a new room to the house, and that's where the the new newlywed couple would reside. So. We see this picture of Jesus, the bridegroom, going away to prepare a, a room in the Father's house, and he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? He's coming back for us. And he says, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And you know the way the place that I'm going. And then Thomas has questions. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? (laughs) Well, you know, there's a lot of false teachers and a lot of, of false religions that claim another way to get to heaven, right? But Jesus and I, I think right here, I, I feel in my own spirit that this disappointed Jesus a little bit. I feel like there was disappointment and discouragement in Jesus' heart when he had to explain to Thomas. And in verse 6, it says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, You would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the truth, and he is the life. He's telling his disciples, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. You've seen the Father because you've seen me. Then Philip says this, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. (laughs) Been walking with Jesus for three years. Show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen the Father has seen, or has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. So first we see Jesus and he's wanting them to put their trust in him. Trust in Jesus, the person. And then he comes and he tells them that he's going away to prepare a place for them in his father's house. And he will come back. And he's saying, Trust in the promise of my return. And now, when it comes to Philip, he's saying, Philip, trust in the works and the miracles you've seen me perform. And this word that Thomas is using here for the word show, it's a verb and it's the same verb that you see back in Exodus 33 verse 18 when Jesus or when when Moses asked God that, that to let him see his glory. And I don't know if you guys remember the story but nobody can look on the face of God and live so God said that would be too much for you so I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock over here and I'm going to put my hand over you and I will pass by and I won't let you see my face but I'll let you see my back. Remember? That same verb show is used in Exodus 33 as it's used right here in John 14. Because what Moses saw is what Thomas saw. The Father in in Jesus and Jesus in the Father. He is the God, the triune God. The God the Father, God the Son. And soon... In the book of Acts, we're going to learn, and we have learned, that He's the God, the Holy Spirit. He's coming; but that promise is coming yet too. So we see that 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 Thomas is wanting to see the Father, and that'd be enough for him. Well, he has seen the Father; he's seen Jesus, who is in the Father. And if you look back, I, I, I it blows me away. I guess you know. I, I don't know. I don't have. I wasn't there in the time period that they were, and we have all the Scriptures and all the Gospels to to tell us. But how could these Jewish disciples have missed it? They studied from a young age all the Scriptures. The first five Bibles, they memorized. They knew what it said in the prophets like Isaiah, where it says in Isaiah chapter 7, the promise of God coming as a babe laying in a manger, and his name shall be called God, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God came down from heaven. And then later on in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 9, it talks about that he would become as a, and born of a virgin, laid in a manger, wrapped in cloth. They didn't see that in Jesus' life. How did they miss it? Even in their prayers, maybe that was the hindrance. Because, see, you get so caught up in all this head knowledge sometimes, but it doesn't filter down deep inside your spirit and your soul. We get so caught up in religious routine that it blocks and hinders our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Every morning and every night, the Jewish people said a prayer. It was called the Shema, right? Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. So, how can God be a father and a son? Can you see how they might question that? How how, How do they wrap their minds around this? Through faith. Amen. Through faith. God Himself came down. As a baby laying in a manger, born of God and born of a virgin, he was fully God, and he is, he was fully man. But sometimes I think that we get so caught up that we, we sometimes miss that point. Sometimes what we we know gets in the way of what we what we should believe. And he goes on and says, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles. How could you not believe that Jesus was from God with all these miraculous signs and wonders he's done, raising Lazarus from the dead, blind people receiving sight, demons being cast out of people, crippled men, lame men, walking and jumping and dancing for the very first time in their life. Who else does these things if not God? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. He is. And it goes on, he says, I I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me, there's that word faith, will do what I've been doing. And he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son might bring glory to the Father. We will do greater things than Jesus? Now, you know, I, I looked at that when I was a younger man. I thought, am I going to be able to raise people from the dead? But what the context is 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 the influence and the reach that they will have. You know, Jesus in his ministry, it was kind of limited as a regional area, and, and, and he didn't get very far out of the, of, of Israel and, and Samaria. But then you look when the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, on that day of Pentecost, and Peter, that one who denied him three times, or going to, we see, he now gives up and he boldly speaks after that Holy Spirit came on him and he began to teach those who were were there about everything that, that had happened in scriptures that pointed to Jesus and how now that they have even sent, Jesus, God has sent Jesus into the world and they've even killed him and they killed all the prophets and it says that they were cut to the core, their heart and they said, brothers, what must we do then to be saved And and Peter proclaimed, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Every one of you, 3,000 people that day, 3,000, I'm sorry, 3,000 men, doesn't say how many women and children were there, but 3,000 men were, were baptized into Jesus' name that day. And now, if you look at the great revivals that have happened throughout the centuries, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people have come to know Jesus because of the the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. You're going to do greater things. And I want you to know something. Do not discount the Holy Spirit's power in your life to bring about faith in Jesus to some of your friends, your colleagues. I don't know, maybe there's somebody in this room that might be the next great evangelist that has Leads a revival that millions of people come to know Jesus like Billy Graham. They might, maybe there's a a Beth Ann Graham in here. I don't know. Maybe there's a, a Bobby Graham. I don't know. Maybe somebody that has the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives will be reaching millions of people again. I believe it with all my heart. And he says, he will do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son might bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. You know, and there again, there's context to that, isn't it? We don't go asking him for, for riches, wealth, or, or power, or treasure. We ask him to let his will be done in our lives. He taught us how to pray. He taught us how to pray. And according to his will and it brings glory to him and the, or the Father, He's going to do it. He wants to see his kingdom come here on earth as in heaven. Amen. And that should be our desires too. Yeah, these disciples, they were probably really, really confused. I know if I had been there sitting in that room being raised up in a Jewish culture, I probably would have been concerned and confused as they were when Jesus says, where I go, you can't follow me but you will later. They didn't have the luxury of of looking back. They just had to trust in the Lord. And that's what he wants from us. Brothers and sisters, this morning, do you believe in Jesus as a person? Do you believe in the miracles that he performed? And do you believe in the promise of his return? Because if we, if we really believed in the promise of his return, I can't speak for you, but I'm speaking for myself. Maybe I ought to be. Living more in more missional and intentional. Amen. Because I know that there's people out there in my circle of influence, people I talk to, that are not walking right with the Lord. And I think one day we're all going to be held accountable for those that we didn't well we didn't share the gospel to. Well, that Holy Spirit unction comes on us, and we should say something to somebody about the Lord. But fear of man gets in the way, just like Nathaniel talked about. We might wonder, you know, worry about what people might think. But we don't. God wants to use us to further his kingdom, folks. And there's probably people in this world that maybe we are the only chance they'll ever have to hear the gospel message, that they might know Jesus and believe and be saved. So, my, I'm going to close with this. You know, my prayer is for us as a people. Well, to be living like tomorrow will be the last day on this earth. Would that change the way that you live? Would that change the way that you love? Would you love enough to tell the truth to somebody who's lost and dying in this world? He will do even greater things. You can do even greater things. You may be the only Jesus somebody will ever see. Let that sink in. And as we prepare for communion tonight, today, I pray that that this this act of, of love that Jesus gave us when he poured out his blood and he and he offered up his body for the atonement of our sins, that we might know God in a right way, that it just wouldn't become something that we do every Sunday, and it won't become routine, but when we take of this, this, this juice and this bread, that, that we would take it to heart, that God sent his son and he laid down his life for us and he suffered the humility of the cross that we might be in right standing with Jesus, with God. That we could become children of God. No greater gift, Jesus said, has any man received except for the one who laid down his life for all of us. No greater gift. So, as we come to the table of grace today, I pray that you would just throw down all the barriers that have been up, that you would let the Holy Spirit. I don't know.